I'm sure if we were to compare our adult Christmas experiences, they would probably be pretty different. But if we were to go back to our childhood and compare our childhood Christmas experiences, we might find some similarities. Like one of the similarities with how many, and this is a little bit of confession time, how many of you have looked for presents when you were a child? You went looking for presents in your home. Come on, a little bit of confession time. It's good for the soul. It's good, just good for the soul. I'm looking at my boys over here wondering, you know, have they looked? Uh, how many of you actually found the presents? You found the presents. You're like, that, you know, anybody? Okay, you found it. How many people actually played with the present? Maybe you took it out of this box. You actually played it. I see a couple of hands over here, a little confession. You feel good, right? Get the weight off your shoulder. How many people broke the present? Anybody? You break the present, you put it back in the box, and it just came like that, you know? I remember finding a present on my tree. I was so excited. It was for me. Then open, then get the Christmas day and realize it was for my twin brother. It wasn't even for me. And I was so disappointed. It was like the worst Christmas ever because I thought for sure that was for me. Anyway. One of, the, one of the other things that kind of connects us as kids, this idea that Christmas, no matter, no matter what, it always felt forever away. It always felt forever. You see Christmas decorations in November, people talking about Christmas. You think Christmas is tomorrow as a kid, and it's like not tomorrow. And it's not tomorrow. And it's not tomorrow the next day. And then you just, it's forever. It just felt like a lifetime away. Christmas never felt like it was ready. And we started giving these advent calendars, you know, to kids to help them, you know, appease their time as whether it's little chocolates or, or little candies. And I don't think it was less for the kids. It was actually more for the adults to help the nagging of when is Christmas. Here, just have a little chocolate. Forget about it today. You know, it's coming soon. But we would do whatever we could because Christmas felt forever. And then something happens. And we, whether we call it magic or whatever, you get to an adult and Christmas just comes on what? Way too fast, right? Like, way too fast. It's Christmas already? What are we talking about? It's like panic sets in, and you're not really sure what's going on. Can I hear to tell you guys, man, listen to me. Christmas is 20 days, 2-0, 20 days away. You have 20 days to figure it out. And if you're like me, my wife takes care of 99% of the, of the gifts. Sorry, boys. Your mother loves you more than me. You know, she... She buys them all. She buys them for our in-laws. She buys them for our friends. She buys them for the kids. I'm responsible for one person. One person. That's it. Just one person. My wife. And this is the first year in 17 years I'm done three weeks before Christmas. <laughs> Wendy, you can rest easy. Santa's coming to our house this week, you know. And man, oh man, I used to be like, this like the week before, you're going to the mall. You're, I hate the mall. I hate the mall. Loathing. I don't know what to buy her. What do you buy a girl? What do you buy a woman? I got two boys. I'm talking to my sons. What do you buy mom? I don't know. What do we buy mom? We have no idea. Give her a hockey stick. I don't, does that work? You know, anyway, so anyway, it's, it just comes way too fast. But here's the thing. As a child, Christmas always came, didn't it? It always came. And it's, it's this fact, it's, in fact, it's the anticipation of Christmas that actually makes Christmas Christmas, isn't it? It's the longing, it's the, it's the build-up, it's the anticipation that tomorrow is Christmas that actually makes it exciting. And this same dynamic of waiting, this same dynamic of longing, of anticipating, is what, in fact, made the very first Christmas so extraordinary. For generations, men and women had been waiting anxious, anxiously for the birth of their Messiah, the birth of Christ, with, with really no assurance that they will actually ever see him in their lifetime. Generation after generation with no fulfillment 
of the promise. And like our childhood selves, they often probably wondered, is this really going to happen? Is this day ever going to come? Or, I mean, after all, God has been silent for centuries. For centuries, hundreds of years, they have not heard from God. Has he forgotten about us? Has he abandoned us? Does he still remember us? Does he still know we're waiting for him to arrive? And while many chose to abandon their faith, they said, enough, I, I, I can't do this anymore. They, they abandoned the promise that was given to Abraham almost 2,000 years ago. There was a remnant. There was a small group of people, a remnant of people who remained faithful, who remained hopeful, day in and day out, thinking believing, anticipating that this day could be the day the Messiah shows up. And today, I want to introduce you to two of those people, and their story is found in Luke chapter 1. But before we get into the story, I want to ask you this question, and this is sort of the question that I want to kind of let it sit in your heart as we talk this morning. And it's this question, how do you respond when hope feels distant? How do you respond when Hope feels distant. How do you respond when hope feels afar? Like there's never, it's never going to be revealed. It's been a tough year for many and for many different reasons. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe this year you're feeling isolated from those you love. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a family member or, or a friend. Maybe you're looking around and, and you, might be, you, might, you might not be able to see through all the darkness. And no matter how hard you try to adjust your eyes, you just cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, the weight of sickness and death and injustice and pain just seem too heavy. Or maybe, maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're just, you're just exhausted. Maybe you're numb. And maybe you just feel like you want to just pull the covers over your head and just let this whole Christmas joy thing come next year. Let's just get through this year. Or maybe, maybe today you feel lost and you feel alone. And you're wondering where God is in all of this. And can I tell you something that I have learned, and it's not, a, it's not a truth that we love to hear, but it's a reality that we have to understand as followers of Jesus, as, as those who walk with Christ, is that there are times in your Christian walk where God is so quiet, he's so inactive, he's so seemingly silent, that there will be times when you're going to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I giving why am I serving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why am I missing out? Why am I not moving in? Why am I not taking the money? Why am I running, not running off? Why? Why am I remaining faithful when it feels like God is not faithful to me? And this is the tension. We all go through these seasons. We all go through these periods in our life when this is our reality. And some of you today, that's your story. To some of you today, you are in that season right now. And if that's the case, this story is for you. And so we're going to pick up the story. We're going to talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're going to encourage you to follow on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke, Luke 1 or version app. You can follow along at Luke 1. We're going to read through the whole story. It's a little bit different. We're just going to read through the story today. And I'm just going to kind of throw a little thoughts in the mix. And just as pull it out, and hopefully, maybe allow, allow you to read this story for the first time in a long time. It started this in the time of King, in the time of Herod, King 
of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So what's the writer doing? The writer is establishing who these people are. These are pastors or priests who are pastor's kids, who are pastor's kids, who are pastor's kids. Like, these people grew up growing, they, they, this, the line of, of, of Aaron, they were, they're priestly lines. So it was kind of a generational calling to be pastors and priests, to serve the people of God, to serve the temple of God. And so that's who Aaron, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are. They are priests who grew up in this mindset. And the Bible goes on, and it says, both of them were righteous. They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord had commanded, the commands and the decrees blamelessly. What, what is it God saying? God, God is looking at these two and thought, man, they've got it right. God looks at Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, they're doing it right. They have, they have nothing to hide. The, these two have lived their lives day after day as if the Messiah was coming. For even in centuries of silence, they were faithful. They were blameless. They were righteous. Come on now. They're old people. They're, and they lived a faithful, blameless life. How many of us would love somebody or God to say that about you? You lived a faithful and blameless life. And what was the reward for their faithfulness? What was the reward for their dedication? What was the reward for, their, for walking righteous when everyone else seemed to abandon and walk away? What was the reward? We, we read it. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So you're telling me that this couple, this man and woman of God who God himself says were righteous, that they had nothing to hide from God, that they did everything right, you're telling me the reward for them was that they were, they were childless, that they could not conceive and have a baby? And in, the, in this time, women in this time, in this place, their main contribution to society was having children. That was their main, they couldn't hold political office, they couldn't hold, like, they couldn't run businesses. Their main contribution was bearing children to keep society going, to keep the name of that, of her husband alive. And Elizabeth, no doubtedly, was living under the shame and the pain of not being able to provide her husband a child. And she was living under the social shame. And that was her reward for being righteous, for being blameless, even into her old age. It's amazing. It's amazing how they remain faithful, holding on to the promise given to God, given to them 2,000 years previous, 2,000 years before this time, not 2,000 years from today, but 2,000 years before this moment in time, God gave a promise to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. A lot of us, we know who Abraham is. Even if you're not maybe a study of, of the Old Testament or you don't know the Bible that well, when you hear the name Abraham, you have a recollection. Oh, I know who that is. I, I've heard his name. His name is great. He's a great, I, I, get, I understand that story a little bit. And then he says, I will bless whoever blesses you and I will curse whoever curses you. And then he goes on to say, and all peoples... All peoples will be blessed through you. And you meaning Abraham. You meaning Abraham and his descendants and his lineage of his children, his, and his grand-grandchildren. 
And as you read the Old Testament survey, you see how you know, Abraham had a child, and his child had 12 children, and they, they became a nation, and then one day they, became, they had a, a king named Saul, and then they had a better king named David, and then they had even a better king named Solomon, who was wise, and this was the golden era of Israel. This was the golden era of the nation's history, and if there was ever a time that God was going to bless all people through the nation of Israel, this was the moment, because after Solomon died, Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. The kingdom was divided between Judah and Israel. There were good kings and there were bad kings. They went to war. And between the time of Solomon's day and the time of Zechariah, who we are now talking about today, the kingdom of Israel was under, they changed hands 25 different times. 25 nations, 25 rulers, 25 nations stronger than Israel conquered them and held them under rule. The Persians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Greeks, and now even the Romans. They had no clout on the world stage. They weren't even really considered a nation at this point. They had no army. They lived in exile. They were living under the rule of conquering kings. And many did ask and could ask, how could God fulfill his promise now? Has God forgotten about us. How is this ever going to happen? This, friends, this is the tension. This is the reality which Zechariah was born into. This is the nation in which he was living. This is the nation, not only him, but his father and his grandfather living under the rule of another king, of another kingdom, living conquered, but holding on to this promise as priests, as pastors in this community, serving people and serving God, holding on to the promise that God one day will use us to bless other nations, that one day a Messiah was coming. And God was about to do something brand new. And so we keep on reading in the story. You with me? Everyone with me? You with me online? Good. All right. You're also silent and quiet. It makes me nervous. All right. So when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot as custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. So roll on back a second. Back in the old days, in Old, in old Testament, New Testament, how they heard from God was they cast lots. It's kind of like gambling. We would never do that. If, they, if you did that in a board meeting, can you imagine a board meeting? Should we stay or should we go? Well, let's just roll the dice, you know. This is what they did. And they believed that God spoke to them through the, the casting of lots. The God, this is how God was able to speak to them. And so this happened. This was a common occurrence. And this would only happen, maybe you would be chosen maybe once in your lifetime by this result. You know, this doesn't, doesn't always go to the same person, per se. And so Zechariah, in this moment, he's serving in, the, in his, his priestly division, is serving, and he is chosen to go and burn incense in the temple. Now, just if you don't know the temple, the temple is kind of broken into three sections. There's the outer court, which is like the bigger part. Then there's the inner court, which is a smaller part with inside the outer court. And then there's the Holy of Holies, which is inside the inner court. And the Holy of Holies, a little part, is where the presence of God resided. And that's where the, whole, the high priest would go once a year after ceremonies and, and rituals of, of cleansing and, re, and repentance would go in there once a year to meet with God on behalf of the people. But right in front of the Holy of Holies, there was a, a, a table of incense or an altar of incense. And this is where... The, where Zechariah was burning incense to the Lord. And so while he's in the Holy of Holies, while he's in that inner court burning incense, all the other priests go to the outer courts and they allow him. He's now in the moment, in the presence of God, burning incense. 
And all the assemblers worshipped outside. So God was setting something up. God used the casting of lots. God used all the circumstances that he was there to get Zechariah alone in the presence of God. And we read, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. And he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Now this is a common, you know, a common first greeting from any angel you see representing God to people, is do not be afraid. Why do you think an angel would say do not be afraid? Because angels were scary, right? They were scary. They were demonstrative. Like they were these beings that you had never seen before, unexpected. Many people thought they were actually God. And we have these little angels. You know, our kids come up dressed in angels, little white robes and little wings and a little thing. They're so cute. That's not God angels, right? They're cute. But that's not the angels that we're talking about. That's not Gabriel. I imagine, I don't know if anyone's seen Lord of the Rings. We were just talking about it last night. But, you know, like Gandalf has these moments where he's defining who he is. He's like, I am Gandalf, you know. He's just finding, that's kind of what is happening here in, in my mind. You know, Gabriel's establishing his dominion in this moment. This is who I am. But he says, don't be afraid for your prayers have been heard. What an amazing, what an amazing statement. Can you imagine an angel came to you? Maybe not a big angel, but maybe an angel in training or a little angel that's not so scary. But an angel came to you and said, hey, I want you to know God's heard your prayers. Come on, Zachariah has been faithful. He's old. He's blameless. And in this moment, listen, they're casting lots to know the word of God because God has been silent for centuries, 500 years. They've never heard a word from God from a prophet, nothing. And in this moment, in his old age, in the altar of the Lord, he gets a visit from the angel, and the angel says to him, God has not forgotten about you. God has heard your prayers. Can you imagine that moment? I get weepy just thinking about it. This moment of desperation, of faithful serving, and his friends have abandoned him, his others have walked away, and his wife and him are crying day after day because they have no kids and they haven't heard from God. But in this moment, God appears to him in the form of an angel and says, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. And you are to call him John. And he will bring joy and delight to you, for many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Can you imagine? Not only are you old without a son, he's now talking about the type of son you're going to have here. Like overflowing joy. He will never, he can never take on wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit even before he is born. Listen, I am commissioning him with purpose. Even now, I'm going to fill him with my presence to do something, not just give you a son, but give you a son on mission, give you a son on purpose. And he, will, and, and he will bring back many to the people, many of the people to Israel, to the Lord their God. Remember, who are the people he's talking about? He's talking about the people of Israel who have abandoned the promise, who've let go, who have forgotten, who've walked away, who haven't been faithful, who haven't been blameless, who haven't been righteous. But, John, but God is speaking to, to Zechariah through this angel saying, your son John is going to help prepare the way. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See John's mission is to bring people back to prepare the way, to set the scene. 
Not only was God going to answer the prayer to give him a child, but he was going to give him a child with purpose, a child on mission, a child who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah who they've been praying for and patiently praying for. His son was going to be part of that story. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am old. I'm an old man. And I love this. so diplomatic. It's just like, man, this is a good example. I'm old. My wife, she's, well, she's well along. You know, I'm not going to say she's old. Because that's, I have a feeling some of these things get written down, you know. But, I'm old. She's well along in her years. And then what does the angel Gabriel say? The angel Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. This is that moment. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. You're like, what is he talking about? This is the moment. I am Gabriel. He's like commanding his presence. I speak on the voice of God. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I stand here in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. Listen, can you imagine Zachariah trying to process all this? Like he's trying to process. He's like, listen, we, we, we thought we were going to get pregnant in our 20s. We, we prayed for, to be pregnant in our 30s. We even, we even kept on praying into our 40s and we're hopeful in our 50s. But now we're just old. Like how is this going to happen? And Gabriel is just confirming that God has heard his prayer. And because... He did not believe. He says, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, and they, which will come true. And listen, at their appointed time. Listen, we serve a God who sees it from beginning, from the end. And even though we have a plan for our life, God says, I, I like your little plan, son, but I got a plan for your life. And I just say, in this moment, I, I, I was thinking about this today. God didn't say, no, that you can't have a son. He just said, not now. He, he didn't say, no, you can't have a son. He just said, not now, because it's not the right time. It's not the appointed time. It's not the right time for things to happen, because I'm not yet ready to send my son into the world to be the redemption. So I need to wait for your son to come into the world so he can prepare the way for, for my son to come into the world. So it's not saying no. It's just not saying right now, not right now. And how many of us need to be reminded today of God's appointed time for our lives? That God has an appointed time for things to happen, for things to transpire in our own lives. Maybe you're here today as a parent and you're praying for the salvation of your child. And you're wondering, God, why is my child not coming back to you? I'm telling you here today, God has an appointed time. Maybe you're praying for your husband. Maybe you're praying for healing. Maybe you're praying for a miracle in your life. I'm here to tell you that God has an appointed time, that God has a plan. Do not give up on God's plan for your life today. He's got an appointed time. And it's in, isn't, isn't it our human experience to immediately doubt the promise we prayed for? Isn't it a, it's, it's like our human experience. We're like, we believe that God could do something for you, but we have a hard time believing that God would do something for me. Like, it's easy to believe that God could bring healing to your life. It's, it's easy for me to believe that God could open a door for work or a job opportunity for you. But it's harder to believe that God could do that for me. Because somehow we see ourselves with, with no lens and no filter. We, just, we see the rawness of who we are. We're like, God, I, yeah, that person's awesome. Me, not so much. And Zacharias here, and he's just, he's, he wants to believe. And I believe he does believe, but he also has this moment of disbelief. How is this even possible? How can this even happen? 
And I just keep going. We don't have a lot of time to keep going. We've got to jump through. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah outside, wondering, what's taking so long? Why is he in the temple so long? Yeah, they're out in the outer courts. Like, he's just lighting incense, friends. Like, what is going on in there? You know? And when Zechariah came out, he could not speak to them. He could not speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the, te- in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but, re- but remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service camp was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And five, for five months, she remained in seclusion. And the day that the Lord has done this for me, she said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I love this. You know, part of this is that God was answering Zachariah's prayer, but he was also answering Elizabeth's prayer. Elizabeth, who was faithful to her husband, faithful to God's word, who was living in the ridicule, the shame, the social shame of not being able to bear a child, living with disgrace. God heard her prayer and took away her disgrace. And I often wonder why God shut Zachariah's mouth, why he wasn't able to speak, and partly because he didn't believe, and we see that in Scripture, but I think partly because he didn't want to speak doubt into Elizabeth either. You know, don't speak doubt into the situation of what God is going to do in you. Don't bring that doubt home, because I'm going to do something. I need you to hear my voice, so I'm going to shut your voice. I want you to hear my promise, so I'm going to shut your doubt. And so when he went home to with Elizabeth, and he was a husband to a wife, and she became pregnant, it was the joy of the Lord. It wasn't the doubt of her husband's voice. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder if that's true. Because it's amazing what doubt does, isn't it? It's amazing the seed that doubt puts in our hearts. Even though we serve a God of the impossible, this doubt, this little seed of doubt, plants into our heart. And our human experience, we just water it every day. And sometimes we need to uproot the doubt and shut our mouth and allow the voice of God, the word of God, to ring louder and stay louder in our situation. So this is a beautiful story. And I hope for you as you read it, it comes alive and it's a little bit different. But this is just a warm-up act. This is just the pre-show. This is just the conversation before the conversation. And we see how one story ends and a new begins in chapter, in verse 26, and then it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, say that five times fast, God sent an angel, Gabriel, the same angel that scared Zechariah, sent to Nazareth, into a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to Mary, to, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, to the virgin named Mary. And this is where we'll pick up our story next week. As we heard his story, as we hear the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, I want to come back to that first question. How do you respond when hope feels distant? Because you have, there's two options, really, as evidence in this story. There's the ones who will just run away and say, well, I guess he's forgotten about us, so we'll forget about him. Or we see Zachariah and Elizabeth who remain faithful, who continue to make right decisions and live a blameless life. Maybe you're wondering, is this even worth it? Maybe, why am I giving? Why am I serving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why am I missing out on the fun? Why am I choosing to do what's right? Why am I choosing to take the high road? Why am I choosing 
to do what's right, even though everything inside of me wants to retaliate. Why am I choosing to forgive? Why? Is this even worth it? Will God even come through? It just feels so distant. It doesn't even feel like it's even possible. Is it even possible that that could even happen? You see, every generation there is a remnant of people who choose to remain faithful despite the fact that God feels seemingly quiet and even distant. And if you're rustling through and asking those questions, the good news is this today, that there is nothing wrong with you. Welcome to the common experience of those who place their faith in Jesus, yet decide to follow him in spite of what they see and they hear around them. Welcome to the world of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple who chose to walk blamelessly, doing what was right before God, in spite of what they saw and heard people say, who couldn't even imagine how God would allow them to have a child in their old age, or how God can use their nation to bless the world through when Israel was just a small, occupied Roman territory. And this is the dilemma. This is the tension we all face, or one that we'll all walk through in our journey with Jesus. And it's this tension of belief and unbelief, of holding on to hope when hope feels so far away. It's this tension that sets up the Christmas story. And so as we prepare our homes, as we prepare our hearts this season for Christmas, I want you to hear this thought today. Is that Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. You're not holding on in vain. You're not holding on at a silliness or ritual or routine, but you're holding on to truth. And even though the truth feels a little bit murky right now, and even though the truth feels a little bit distant right now, I'm here to tell you with confidence of the Word of God that God is faithful to complete what He started. It's a reminder that God can do anything He chooses to do even if it seems silly. It's a reminder that he is moved beyond our, by those who remain faithful, by those who walk in righteousness and blamelessness. And ultimately, it's a reminder that your faith and your hope is not in vain. He's not giving up on you. So don't give up on him. Christmas is a reminder that God keeps his promises, even if it seems that his promises are impossible to keep. So what promise are you holding on to today? What promise has God deposited into your heart? Don't give up. Don't let go. This season and this tension, and though it's hard, and though, it's, though it can be tiring and wearisome at times, hold on to hope that God will finish what he started in you and through you in the form of a baby. Let's stand together. Father, we just want to take a moment right now and just thank you for the season. Thank you that we get to relive this every year as just a reminder to ourselves that you do amazing things in unseemingly impossible situations. God, you are you are working, and your working doesn't always match up with what our idea of working is. And as we 
allow our hearts to resonate with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, ones who remained faithful, ones who held on when others seemed to walk away, ones who waited patiently, fervently, diligently with their whole heart. God, I pray that we would learn from that today and that we would examine our own hearts today. And anything that we're, any, any area that we are wavering, any area that we are weak, any area that we are falling off course, God, I pray you'd bring alignment back, refocus back, and that we'd realign our hearts to yours, that we allow our hearts to trust in you, to hold on to hope, even though it feels distant. God, as we, as we just close in a word of prayer, as we close in this song, God, may this be our prayer, that we're here waiting for you. We're waiting for you. We can recommit our hearts to you in this moment, we pray in your precious name. Amen.